Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Brian O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, sitting down today with comics creator Brian Level to talk about his new psychedelic Appalachian horror graphic novel from Oni Press, Silk Hills. Thank you for joining me today, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so what is Silk Hills about? Uh, it's about Beth Wills being uh, kind of a, I guess, a fish out of water. Um, she's heading into Silk because she got kind of hired for uh, for a job that really couldn't have been done from someone who's from Silk Hills uh, to find the uh, sort of local lumber magnate's uh, missing son and uh, insanity ensues. <laughs> well, I'm a southerner abroad myself. I live in Florida. I know some people consider that the South. It is not officially um, i know you're in kentucky having grown up with those mountain stories of the evil that awaits in the woods pretty much all my life what made you want to write this story um so weirdly it spun out of a couple different places but you know i'm not from kentucky originally i'm from northern ohio um and there is this weird hauntedness i think that i that that feels similar here in kentucky as in northern ohio because northern ohio is what's considered the black swamp um a lot of death a lot of history um, a lot of interesting, weird colonialism stuff that went on there. Um, and I think Kentucky has, you know, an interesting, you know, with Daniel Boone and all the interesting sort of, you know, like great stories, great legends, and all the crazy, like sort of folklore that came over from, you know, Europe and all that stuff. But for me, what, like that, that's all like fertile ground, right? Sure. I think like modernity has the cryptids and all that stuff, but the, th the same thing that I think speaks to me, that I think speaks to a lot of people about Appalachia is its age and how old it is. And kind of once you kind of get into that deep time, I guess, like things start to get a little more spooky. Sure. In like the perfect place to kind of, it's like, you know, when you think about towns and old secrets and all that stuff, like it still feels like colonial or it feels whatever. And I just, I think, you know, we wanted to push further than that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty ambiguous with that that Appalachian location, really. I mean, it could be anywhere from Alabama to West Virginia, but it uses those classic Appalachian associations we're all kind of familiar with at this point, like a post-industrial mining town falling into ruin, gas station as the tether to civilization, 
anyone who's, who's driven through that part of the country is familiar with the proverbial deer in the headlights. So, you know, but to me, the, the real strength of the storytelling was in creating the right atmosphere for it. So how did you and Ryan, you know, set about to create that, that atmosphere with the right authentic, authenticity, you know, with really what are a bunch of kind of wild elements coming together to, you know, trying to make sense of it? Uh, you know, the I think one of the earliest sort of points in doing Silk Hills was coming to Ryan with kind of my, you know, obviously my affinity for the area and just the Appalachian people uh, and and watching a lot of uh, Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento pictures and how much, uh, particularly Argento, those, they're just so Italian. Like those movies are so Italian and those mysteries just feel like they wind you through Rome and wind you through Italy and kind of like I think the earliest point was like well god there's no reason we can't do a a giallo in in Appalachia and things kind of well same for us right like as for Beth like we went in with one idea and we kind of came out the other side with something a little a little weirder so that was you know like I don't know there's just something about the maybe I'm not answering your question very well but the it just like there's there's beyond words there's a feeling there that's not the same as everywhere else. I can connect to it because where I'm from in Ohio, it feels there's a similarity, but it's not the same, right? And I think that what we wanted to what we wanted to capture was the feeling of the town. And, and it's funny you mentioned the tropes, but I feel like the tropes would be really easy to feel flat and almost like making fun of it or like kind of doing the surface thing. And I think I really like for me, I wanted to kind of like show like I don't know like the way it felt you know, not the way, not the way it just seems visually or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it really encapsulated to me that, that isolation that you get really, really fast in that environment. You know, you're, you're all of a sudden could feel connected to the rest of the world. And then all of a sudden you kind of step out of it. So. Right. And I think a lot, we owe a lot of that to Kate, you know, um, her art is, was so masterful at kind of creating that isolation and, you know, well, and referring to Argento again, like there's this great like suffocation that he creates in those spaces, even though they're huge in scope and you get these brilliant, you know, like Argento was a huge influence for both Ryan and I on Silk Hills, which you wouldn't know it, you know, like if we didn't say it, I don't think. Um, but there is something weird about how uh, those woods, the whole place feels open and I think picturesque at times, but it's still, you never escape that feeling of like suffocation, nowhere to turn. And uh, well, as it gets into the mining and all that stuff, like like that sort of, I guess, claustrophobia starts to increase as the story progresses. And at least we wanted that to be the case. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's those familiar elements. Um, now I, I've got to touch on it, you know, the goddamn deer, because they scared the shit out of me, you know, and I don't want to give too much away, you know, but those things are, are horrifying. So I'll let you expand on it as, as much you as said you said the like. deer. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. why Bambi? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know uh, okay. if I'm being honest, I don't know why, um, I just know that it is, you know, um, like, like that image was there. I'm not like a, a, a writer per se in like any craftsman sense. Like I'm very intuitive in the way that I do things. And sometimes that works out great and other times not as great. And having Ryan on board is great because he's very much more craft oriented. You know, he's intuitive as hell too. But, uh, you know, the, the deer in particular was something that came in a dream. Like there's a sequence in that book that's directly like I woke up and I wrote it and we fell in love with it. Uh, and it was one of those things where, you know, like you'll get like writer sort of 
uh, not writers individually, but like in the discourse, I guess you get like the, well, don't be afraid to kill your darlings and blah, 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 blah. And I'm literally the opposite. Like if I love it, I'm going to produce it better than anything I don't love. Um, so I don't give a shit about the story at that point. I only care about me. And so like, I want to make sure I love this thing and I'm going to do everything in my power to fit this thing in uh, because it felt right. And, and I can't explain it. I can't put it to words. I can't make it make sense. I mean, it makes sense to me like in through all of its abstractions, but I can't make it make sense to anybody else. And I'm just kind of trusting that this sort of like visceral, like, I guess like the, the Jungian effect, you know, kind of hits and it, and it works and it sounds like it did. It did for uh, me, for sure. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't know, if, you know, what you took from it or why or whatever. And I don't really, you know, that's for you, sure. not for me. Um, but that's kind of the deer showed up and I, and I couldn't let the deer go. Um, and, and it showed up more than once, you know, like, cause like, making some clothes i've told the story before and i think it'll sound a little bit like bullshit and i don't really care um but like it's i started having dreams about silk hills and then the dreams started kind of permeating reality a little bit they turned into like daydreams and yeah. like there was like weird like most things with me like connections start to happen you know like we just start to see like a like the way things thread together and when it starts to happen in my waking life that's when i like okay like cool there's something here like there's a there's a net uh that i can like start hauling things in right and and Silk Hills was that way where it started. I mean, literally, like the 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 thing I told Ryan, I was like, well, let's do an Appalachian Giallo, and we ended up with that. And you know, like obviously, we didn't just stream of consciousness. It like all the symbolism and all that stuff was very you know written down. Like we had a Bible, you know, about what everything meant and all that stuff. So it's not like it wasn't willy nilly. Um, and we had a great editor, Zach, uh, crushed it you know, like, like he did a great job kind of really picking at us and challenging us to like work on some things and really get it sharpened up. And uh, that's, that's how we ended up with the deer and some of the other, I guess, what you might call lore of Silk Hills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, getting into the lore a bit, you know, you didn't stop corrupting the friendly forest critters with the deer, you had to do the moth too. So, you know, the, the what Antrim Angelus or the cave moth um, that produces that psychotropic uh, effect that's, you know, a sought after drug kind of in the story you know, it comes around every 18 years. Um, I looked it up. I couldn't find that moth. So you guys sort of must have made it up or I, I, I'm not up on my lepidopterist stuff. But yeah, we definitely made it up. OK. Uh, <laughs> and I was like looking for the lore there. This is one of the things I do. And I'm totally grasping at straws. Ryan's Canadian. So the only thing I could see with Antrim was there was a Canadian horror film. But I thought that was super thin, you know, and then there's like the cicada thing that emerges every, you know, 18 that, years or so. Well, so. the cicada broods definitely played a large portion of it. Uh, like, like uh, the life cycle was definitely like inspired by cicada broods. Um, and the sort of dust, I guess, the dust drug, like, I, I want to, you know, I want to talk a little bit about it, but like, I don't, you know, but like, to yeah, me, yeah. everything's extremely spiritual to me. I'm a real religious guy. Um, so like, uh, I make everything kind of fit in that, like, sort of paradigm for myself. And so the drug and, and the consuming of the moth, like was all extremely symbolic uh, for me, as well as cicadas and their interchangeability with other sort of insects in, in the mind of people, people confuse these insects. And so it was kind of like piecing a lot of things together to kind of create like a singular, you know, I, I would say, don't worry too much about a moth, worry more about what the moth could be, right? Um, which is virtually how I work in everything, which is maybe not particularly practical, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and you use not just the moth, but kind of 
that West Virginia Mothman legend that you're kind of woven in there too. So how does that play out? Well, I mean, Mothman is a very elusive, I mean, you're, you're West Virginian. Is that right? Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee. Pardon me. Um, no, it's okay. But I mean, like, you know, that, that lore is so rich, right. Uh, on the, in the sort of, in the, in the history of, I guess, what would be called uh, the paranormal, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, the portent of tragedy, like association with aliens, like association with demons, like there's all kinds of lore, like you can fit the Mothman into about anything that you want to. Um, and, but, but, you know, I think he's most known as the portent of, tra- portent of tragedy um, and coming darkness, essentially. And so like, there was a lot of that that kind of showed up with the Mothman in the story. Um, and we tried to kind of like keep it from being too hyper predictable. Um, we wanted to, you know, kind of anytime that we came up with an easy answer, we made sure that we didn't make it too easy. Okay. Well, and Beth, your main character, she couldn't stick out anymore in a rural Appalachian setting, you know, black, lesbian, an outsider. So when you were creating your protagonist, did you, did you start with her and put her in the setting or did the setting kind of choose the character? Uh, A little bit of both, right? Like, uh, you know, we knew that we didn't want to have somebody that fit in, um, that fit in on the surface, right? Um, but also by virtue of the conflict between the Partridge family, uh, it, in like, like the, the sort of family, right? Like some of the potential issues that could arise from that, you know, there were relational elements that I think Beth could relate to. Um, so there was, you know, there was story kind of story and sort of intention, I think created Beth, uh, to, to do the job, you know? Um, and, and I think that she fit weirdly fit into that world a lot better than she thought that she would. And she also experiences flashbacks from conflict, you know, so seems to be struggling with PTSD. So what made you want to include that kind of element to round out her as a character? Um, You know, weirdly, like, I'm from extremely rural area for the most part. Um, Not for the most part. I live in the Cincinnati, like Cincinnati adjacent now. Um, But you know, military service is extremely common in my family and in my area, and particularly with rural communities. And, uh, you know, though Beth isn't that, like, it was a way, I think, for, it was a way in for her to be able to make connections with, like, well, with Derek, right, uh, in the story. Um, And it was an opportunity for us to kind of look at, like, well, also just flat out, like, the direct one-to-one link between the mines and her experience um, back in the war, also, I mean, I'm a tattooer, so like you just kind of hear these stories <laughs> like about people's friends, things of that nature. And for some reason, like her being uh, in the military, I think just seemed to fit with her, like what she was good at, what she wanted to do, why she would take a job like this. Um, you know, all those things kind of fit together nicely. And frankly, like was kind of even when you're looking at like the psychotropics or whatever and the sort of like uh I guess, uh, is that what they're called? Like, like my brain is eluding me, but essentially like uh, mushrooms and things like that. Yeah, like yeah. The, effect, the effects that they have on people and bringing up past traumas help, you know, like the therapeutic end, right? Yeah. Um, like you, all that stuff just fit together. And, and we didn't do it in a hyper, like, I'm sure that some people could find that we handled it really poorly. Um, I think other people might find that we handled it well, but we were trying to be, just be intuitive and compassionate to uh, somebody like Beth and to the town of Silk Hills, despite its past. And I think despite 
some of its sins, so to speak. I think uh, that's the best. I guess that's the best I got on that. Okay, no, it's all good. And you allude to it. You're an artist yourself, but you know, Kate Sharon joined up with you on the project. She's in Savannah, so she gets the Appalachian thing, you know, right down to the rednecks missing teeth that I noticed in the book. So her work's perfect for this, and the style yeah. reminds me of you know Kyle Starks even in a way. So okay. yeah, brag on her for a second. Um. So well, also she's from uh, the St. Louis area, right? So okay. she's a lot of familiar with Missouri and the Ozarks and stuff like that. Which there's also there's going to be you know a little bit of similarity crossover. I mean, culturally it's going to be a little different, like past wise, but I think currently there's not, you know, there's more crossover nowadays. Um, Kate is a person that's hard to brag about in specificity because her talents are so expansive. Um, you know, she's, a, in addition to being like a great line artist, she's a tremendous painter and colorist, as well as being a tremendous writer. Um, so having her on the team is extremely invaluable. Um, you know, like my strong suit and her strong suit and Ryan's strong suits, I think really fit well together to produce something I think that was kind of unexpected, uh, like with both look and execution. And, you know, it's hard to say anything about her that doesn't feel like an understatement, I guess. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, what made you want to recruit her as an artist? And, you know, I know you do it, so. Uh, well, never, like, I mean, just on a flat out aesthetics end, it wasn't what I would do, you know? Like yeah. whenever I see her drawings, I'm like, I would never do this. So I know it's going to be a lot harder for me to like try to, because when I write horror, I'm extremely specific. Like, because to me, like horror writing it has so much to do with mood, atmosphere, and timing. Mm -hmm. um, and so like when you're, when you can see that in your head, the closer someone draws to that, I, I'm always terrified that I'm going to try to micromanage them by accident. And with someone like Kate, like just flat out aesthetically, that's almost impossible to do. Um, because we, like, at least with the way that I draw, right? Like I don't see things how she sees things. So when I get stuff from her, it's always new. It's always fresh. And that was exciting as hell to me uh, outside of just the fact that she's tremendously talented. Um, but like, that was like a huge appeal, which is like, I don't draw like this. I don't know what to say about this beyond this fucking rocks, you know? And, yeah. And I mean, it does. yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, like one thing that really stood out to me and I just want to know more of the background. There was is a color choice. I'm always fascinated by color choices. And so the aesthetic for the first 40, 35, 40 pages or so is this almost exclusively washed out, you know, brown mustard tone. Mm -hmm. um, but then it, then it changes and I'm, I'm not entirely sure why. So there's a couple of, I think like when we, when Kate and I talk, I guess I kind of neglected to mention Kate and Ryan and I, like we're all very good friends. So that's part of the reason that she became involved. And I was like, well, we, I completely ignored the relationship part. <laughs> but uh, like the, the color choice thing, I think there was one part, like there was uh, like when we got to talking about the book, there's just kind of the, what you expect from a, this type of story, you know, like it's a mystery sort of thriller crime sort of thing with a weird element in the middle of nowhere, of course, doing a dusty, and dark palette would make sense. But as the story starts to open up, you know, like things become more unpredictable uh, and more unlike a lot of things that, that, are, that are out and what, you know, like so your expectation shift, I think, throughout the book um, as certain things happen. So I think that was a large portion of that. I think it was probably a practical end too, like, you know, she's doing multiple books and all this, that, and the other. And so that, that probably benefited 
but overall, I think, you know, like it served the story. Honestly, I think it kind of eases you in, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're kind of like swallowed up by like the colors and the sort of like the mood of it all. And you know, just that I, you know, she's really smart like that, you know? Yeah. It's a beautiful pace element because I got really accustomed to what I was looking at and then it made me change. Right. Yeah. Someone um, say tra- transform. <laughs> I'm not going near that deer. No transform. <laughs> um, and it was a curveball for me uh, coming from Oni Press, right? Who I regularly associate with younger audience titles, Courtney Crumbren or the Tea Dragon Society. So how'd your, you know, moth dust drug fueled horror project land with them? Uh, great. Um, so Oni Press for, you know, I realize I'm, I'm old now, right? Like, uh, like in the, in the scope of comic creators, I'm not a young man. Um, and I grew up reading adult comics from Oni Press, you know, like I was reading Jenny Finn, the Blair Witch Project. Um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, like, um, the early iterations of the Marquis were there, like the Guy Davis stuff. So like there, they have a rich history of horror, um, at that publisher, and when the book got picked up, it was a little unlikely, but also kind of felt like right, you know, because sure. like they've always kind of done outsider books to a certain degree. Like it's like they've done outsider books for slightly more mainstream audiences. Um, God, I even remember picking up the old Duncan Figredo, like Kevin Smith, like bridge comics for like when they were doing the bridge between clerks and like uh, chasing Amy or something like that, like back in the late nineties, early two thousands, like they've always kind of had this weird thing about them, you know, and, and they, they seem to really eat it up. Um, I mean, I, I, I also, they do kind of weird auteur stuff, you know, like they did that book, the auteur. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, that book's huh. crazy as hell. It's like about a totally nutso like uh, movie producer. And that was like probably 2012. 2015. It's like they've never really stopped doing that stuff. I think that they just had bigger hits in the YA and mid-grade audience uh, for a season there. And also, I think, just branching out and establishing themselves as that type of publisher. But, you know, talking to James, you know, James and everybody there is always interested in horror. Okay. Well, let's get to know you a little better. You know, I think you're the the first... tattoo artist kind of comics creator that I've gotten to interview on here. So how do these, these elements of your life kind of overlap, you know, as an artist, as a creator? Um, you know, they, they just do, I guess, like they're just different. <laughs> they're, they're just kind of different forms of like how my imagination works. Okay. Um, you know, tattooing, I kind of retired the notion of tattooing being like my capital A art form quite a long time ago. Um, largely because it was a venue where my creativity always played second fiddle to uh, the client's desires. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's not 100% the case, right? Like you do have those clients that are kind of down for whatever and those people rule. And, but also so do the people that want what they want. Like those people rule too. And, you know, it took a long time. Uh, it took a lot of maturing for me to kind of realize that about the job. And that for me, it's about service and about like, not, and I don't mean customer service in some bullshitty way, but like in a genuine, like I'm here to serve you, like, and to help you feel good and help you kind of understand like the process and, and stay in love with yourself and, you know, all these different little weird little things. Right. Um, and it was at that point when I started to realize that I found a lot of joy in making comics again. And so I started drawing some comics and, um, and, and I've always kind of made them since I was a kid, but 
that was when I was like, oh, well, this is this is where I can be ex extremely expressive, right? Like where I can be really creative, come up with things kind of just out of the clear blue sky. And and then that they kind of fed each other really nicely because then I could then I didn't want for anything in that other job anymore where I could just show up and be creative when I was permitted to be and kind of be a craftsman or tradesman, I guess, so to speak, when it was asked of me as well. Um, and, and I'm really grateful for for comics as being one of the things where I can be more experimental and more expressive and tattooing being the thing where I can be a real technician. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand just how much tattoo artists are also therapists in a way it, it's wild uh that's actually one of the facets of the job that that's why i'll never quit being a tattooer um the the place it, you know we've come and, and there's multiple people that work at my shop um and even my shop i hesitate to even say that because it implies some ownership and i don't really like that bothers me in a weird way because it's everybody's shop as far as i'm concerned but you know they, they just they're very grateful for us in the same way we're grateful for them because it's like a place where they can just be who they are with like out any strings attached and, and it's i guess a quote-unquote safe place for people to just be and that's that's really rewarding to me way more rewarding than any art right is so i can just like allow you to be who you are that's great well your tattoo style um it's it's got an old school you know, slightly Japanese influence to me, if, if what I'm seeing on Insta is more representative of your, you know, whole body of work there. After right. reading, you know, Batman versus Bigby recently, you know, the, the line where it looks, you know, nothing at all like your tattoo work. Is there that natural dichotomy between drawing for comics and, you know, creating tattoo des designs? You, you want the separation or just, it's just art? Well, there, the tattoos are so much higher stakes. Um, <laughs> like, sure. And, yeah. And so like, I can just fuck around on the comic book page. And if you don't like what I did on that page, well, just wait till the next page, you know? Um, and, and honestly speaking too, like just the medium has fewer constraints. Comics has fewer constraints beyond just storytelling. Like, like as far as mark making is concerned, there's really no rules. Like one of my favorite artists and a good friend of mine, Riley Rosmo, like the big running gag that like in our group of friends, like is just like, so Riley, this page is crazy. Did you get a new stick to draw with? Like, cause he just has this really like crude line to everything. And, and it's funny because like, that's like, like we're not making fun of him. It's like, we're all kind of jealous of his like freedom to be able to make these beautiful shapes and beautiful art, like just beautiful everything. He's like, I, if, if you were to ask me, Riley Rossman is like a top three working comic book artist. It's uh, nobody can really touch that guy. Um, but like, it's only in comics. I feel like, can you really be that in a way, you know? And I think that's the appeal. So have you ever had uh, somebody come in with a tattoo idea and you're just simply like, mm, nope? Oh, yeah, man. I used to get, I was known for that for a minute. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm rotten. Oh, come on. I mean, like, sometimes people need to know that they have a bad idea. Like, and I don't even mean like an offensive one or whatever. Like, you have that. Like, somebody wants some racist shit or some just really stupid shit. And you're just like, what the fuck, man? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, if you can't even say this loud, like, with your chest, like, don't expect a <laughs> motherfucker to do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're going to try to whisper some shit to me, like, kiss my ass. Like, get the fuck out of my shop. Yeah. But the, like, there's just stuff that's kind of like people, because the thing is, is when people come in for a tattoo, they get hung up on the permanency and not on, like, the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, it's got to be perfect because it's there forever. I don't want to hate it. Like, because it's, I'm stuck with it. And it's just like, bro, like, let go. Because the harder that you hold on, the less you're going to like it. 
Like that's just a hundred percent my experience. Like I nobody that I always kind of make a joke that the smaller the tattoo is, the bigger in the pain of an ass, the bigger the pain in the ass. And it's nine times out of ten, not because the tattoo's small, but because usually people get tattoos smaller because they're nervous to go bigger. And -hmm. if they're nervous, they're gonna often be more controlling over something that they have no idea about. And so they don't let us operate at full strength. And I don't say that to convince everybody to get large tattoos. I got stupid small shit too. Um, but like, you know, it, it's tough. Cause I would just be like, no, I'm not doing this. This sucks. You know what I mean? Like, this is not cool. You're not going to like this. Like you're not going to be happy. And 99% of the time I'm right. And 1% of the time I'm an asshole. <laughs> I'm sure you can live with that. Fr- frankly, it's probably 80, 80% of the time I'm an asshole. And I'm just got a confirmation bias on myself. Now we're getting real. Okay. <laughs> now we got it. So You've got the the brothers James that was recently uh, funded on Zoop. Yes. Um, Bigby um, and Batman, mm-hmm. um, Silk Hills. What else you got going on? Um, I have a book that I'm unable to talk about, but it is another horror book. Um, and for better or worse, I'm writing and drawing it, um, and coloring it and lettering it. Um, it is an ambitious. Yeah, I guess so. I, I'm psychotic maybe is more apropos, but the. So I've got that. I've got another thing that looks to be coming out, but you know, I'm kind of still waiting on it. I have a self-published thing that'll be out at Heroes Con. Um, not for the faint of heart. It's extremely mean, extremely dark. There's a reason I'm self-publishing it. I'm not even bothering to pitch it. It's just fucking bleak. Um, but it's also kind of weird and like a little inaccessible at times. Um, so I've got a lot going on, I guess. Well, that's good. It's good to be busy. And you left uh, Silk Hills kind of open, as it were, and it doesn't mm-hmm. look like it. So is this standalone or is there more to tell there? I don't I don't think any of us plan on telling more Silk Hills. OK, um, if there's a demand for it, there's more in the Bible. So uh, there's probably triple. Well, like there's there's two more volumes worth of material in the Bible, um, but we did not plan for that to be a thing. So. The open-endedness of it was satisfying to us. Save it for a Netflix series because I can see this. I can see this getting picked up. Well, with uh, one of the funny things about that was we did have it with a different publisher at first, um, and there was a lot of back and forth arguing going on. Um, this is inside baseball, uh, and I won't name the publisher because I still like all of them quite a lot. They're uh, people I still think very highly of. But there was a definitely like a corporate feeling push to try to make it more TV-ish okay. and less comic book-ish to me. And they did not want to do a graphic novel format, which I think would have been a huge mistake. Um, I think that the book works perfectly as a graphic novel. I could not imagine having that book episodic. Um, I could see it being episodic if you wrote it more like a TV show, for sure. Yep. Um, you know, like spending more time on nine different subplots that, you know, whatever, like, but I'm not there for that, you know. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that horror works best when one or two people are riding in a car and the fucker won't stop and it keeps going faster and faster and the lug nuts aren't very tight and there's a cliff coming ahead and it just keeps going faster and faster and faster till either the car's going to fall apart or you drive over the fucking cliff. And I think that's one of my issues with a lot of horror in comics is that it takes a really exceptional title to break that for me because a lot of stuff feels like just as it starts getting going, it, it ends. And then you got to do it again in another issue. And, and I don't think that that's a problem. I think that's why I like EC comics so much because they just 
not just DC, but Harvey and all those other weird. And why I think Michael Walsh's book, The Silver Coin, is so great um, because it just it's a straight acceleration to the end, and then the story's over. Um, you know, there's definitely people like James Tinian who is excellent at writing episodic horror. Um, there's I'm trying to think of other people that are excellent. I'm like trying to keep back uh, like burping or something like that. Like, I don't know. I had a bunch of coffee and I'm like feeling like a fucking slob. Uh, but the you know David Lapham, right? David Lapham, even though he's not making horror, so to speak, he does that thing where it's like this acceleration that's like, you feel like you can't stop this car from going and it creates such incredible tension. Um, and I, and that's like, I feel like the graphic novel format for horror works so well for that. Uh, David Hine, you know, all the times that he's done horror graphic novels, like with Mark Stafford, they've always been tops because they just feel like they're, you can't stop this train, <laughs> you know? And I love that stuff. I don't, I don't know if that answers. No, it's good. I mean, it, it kind of, it makes me curious because I didn't, the way you've described the way you want horror to exist, I didn't get that super fast accelerated timeline with Silk Hills. I mean, there, there's no, a lot I don't, of nuance. I don't, I don't think it needs to go. I'm not saying it needs to start fast and finish fast. I'm saying like the thing like has, is an ever accelerating car. Like, okay. so I'd say about halfway through that book, in my opinion, with Silk Hills, you know, like this car is not coming to a stop, right? Yeah, like, no, no way one's out. Gonna, no one's going to really, pump, and that's what I mean is just like, by the time that the thing's going, you don't want it to quit, right? Like, it's just, you got to, like, if we really want to have maximum scares and maximum horror, like the thing has to keep going where it's going faster and faster. That's what I mean by that. And maybe it still doesn't land that way for you, and that's okay too. But I, I just feel like with good horror for me, most of the time, it doesn't work as well when it's broken up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So is, is horror your happy pocket? This is where you want to stay? Or would you really like to write it's other the only way I think. Okay. Like, truly. Like, I don't think in any other mode. Um, even when I, I've tried to write stuff that's a little more playful, like Chain to the Grave, right? Like, that, the, half the reason that thing is not bleak as fucking hell is because of Andy, you know? Like, Andy is such a jovial guy and keeps things relatively, you know, pleasant and i just don't think in pleasantries at all um, i don't know why you know it's just my voice and that's okay I think. but i think it's hard to balance some of those elements i mean like it, especially with things that people are really familiar with like the the relaunch of scooby-doo i actually thought was was brilliant for i heard it was great i didn't read it yeah i mean as a horror book i was just constantly like what what is happening here like sure. this is so weird yeah well um, archie was that way right like afterlife with archie I thought that was great. Like it was, it was way scarier than I expected it to be. Um, and it was also episodic. So like, that's pretty exciting. Um, one of those instances that really worked for me. Um, I, I don't know why I'm that way, you know, like, but it, it is, uh, it is slightly odd, but it is whatever. Like, I don't see myself leaving horror for any reason at all. Like, I just don't have it in me. It's like, I'm a punk rocker, dude. Like I listen to a lot of punk rock and that's like, you go to the tattoo shop, I'm listening to punk rock. So I know, release timelines are crazy and all over the map right now so what what's the best guess that we have on on when this is going to drop uh silk hills yes should be in a couple weeks 
Okay. Uh, yeah. I think May 20, let me, I, I'd have to look at the calendar. Whatever that week, I think of the 25th or 26th or something. Okay. Um, so it should be before June. Awesome. Well, my last question, do you have like a favorite Southern or Appalachian like legend, something you're attached to? Um, I mean, the, so I tend to like stories that aren't necessarily like uh, region specific. Okay. I like it when you can find one that you find everywhere, right? Then I don't mean like Bigfoot, but just like the crazy weird ghost stories like the crybaby lane or whatever, or like the headless motorcycle rider um, where you do the little ritual of honking your horn and then you start driving and all of a sudden you summoned a fiery thing behind you or whatever. Like those sort of things I really gravitate toward because I think they speak to something truer than like the specificity of, you know, um, I'm not I'm not usually a cryptids guy, right? Like there are definitely exceptions like Mothman because it speaks to something a little weirder. Um, but like the Jersey Devil doesn't really do it for me. You know what I mean? I'm not like... So it's like my favorite stuff is usually a little more vague. I'm a huge fairy tales guy. I love fairy tales. Still, I still read fairy tales, like pull up the, the Lang, like colored fairy books or whatever, like red fairy books. Like I still will pick those up and, and read those. I love, you know, just old fairy tales. I love Pinocchio. Like I love that shit. So a lot of that logic, like fairy tale logic makes its way into the stuff I write. Have you found um, your way? Do you do podcasts that much? Um, I don't. Like listening? Oh, oh no. Okay. Okay. I don't. I not not by virtue of lack of want. I just like I just struggle to pay attention because I'm usually drawing when I would have to listen to them. Okay. Yeah. There, there's one that that I've been listening to that like it's interesting because there's fascinating correlations with Silk Hills and and it's probably just the mining and probably that it's, it's just in my head. Is it the know? old gods one. Yes. Yeah. 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 I would Thank listen you. to a couple episodes back. God, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, they're really doing really great stuff. Really high, uh, high, high quality, high production quality too. Yeah, it's really impressive. There's a, you know, it's funny. Like, I listen to so few that uh, I would liken it to my. So a buddy of mine, uh, Larry Fessenden, does a uh, radio, like an old time style horror radio show called Tales from Beyond the Pale. Okay. Um, and they podcasted it recently, but it reminds me of that a little bit, where it's like. Tales from Beyond the Pale is like an old style radio show with a host and stuff. So like Larry will do like the intro and then you just have these brilliant little short 30 minute horror stories. Um, and they're really good too. So I've listened to most of Tales Beyond the Pale and some of Old Gods of Appalachia. Um, and I think that like the Old Gods is great. It's one of those things I wish I had more time to dedicate to it because it's kind of a great confluence of, because, you know, it seems very cosmic horror um, in a lot of respects. And I'm a huge like, Lovecraft, weird fic, like Arthur Machen fan, you know, a lot of that stuff I think plays through with the sort of fairy tale stuff that I like, you know, like, because if you go to like Machen and then look at Lovecraft and all the George MacDonald sort of stuff, like fantasy stuff that came in between, there's like so many weird link ups, like reading Peter Pan and reading then like, I don't know, it just at all feels like it's all part of the same um, lineage, I guess. Or like, mm -hmm. like different, it's like it's all different like branches of the same tree, so to speak, in a way, which is like speaking to like the sublime, like sort of intangible, like horror of God or something like that. That's kind of in the center of all this thing, and then we're all just checking it out and enjoying it and being afraid of it, whatever. And I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I've been a Lovecraft fan all my life, um, and it, what I, I love so much about Old Gods is it it doesn't feel derivative, like so many. So many things. Do. I think it creates kind of its own pocket with it, which is absolutely yeah. But and that's like I think some of what makes, you know, I think 
we touched you could look at silk hills and call it lovecraftian i think without feeling like it's you know if you wanted to right but to me i think it just comes from that same place of like lovecraft kind of getting weirded out by how old shit is and how big shit is and for us it was the appalachian mountains and you know i kind of I, I joked early in the stages of writing where i was like guys like <laughs> the mountains are made when two plates crash against each other and i was like well, what's between those plates you know like that was the that was like the big question that was always in the back of my head it was just this primordial darkness um that's kind of just leached in the soil of a place like that and then you have however many millions of years or you know god i don't know how many years it is now because i know it's older than bones or whatever like appalachian yeah. mountains are older than walking animals so it's like all that erosion what's coming up now you know um and what's always come up and those are kind of the questions i ask myself when making silk hills so so how did you go you said you've got a bible um so how did you go about creating, you know, weaving that mythology? Because we've, we've talked about, you know, all these, these different pieces. So um, one of the things I, I guess I liked about Silk Hills so much um, is that it didn't have, it didn't try to answer too many questions, really. It just, just kind of left itself there. I, I think we, so Ryan and I, every time that we kind of like came up with an answer, we obfuscated it, you know? We had no interest in answering the questions. We wanted the symbols to do the heavy lifting, um, the sort of like, there's like some real silly shit in that book that we were dying laughing because we thought it was genuinely funny, but it was also kind of like real serious at the same time. Like, like there's, I don't want to spoil it, but like there's a, there's a part when, when um, uh, Beth falls into the cave. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember how she falls into the cave. Yes. What, what occurs. It's extremely insane, <laughs> but like that was really symbolic for us. Like, like when I, I called, I remember writing that down and I had to call the team and be like, is this okay? Like, because this is so stupid, but it was like in the context of that symbol through the whole book, it was perfect. Um, and whether or not anybody gets the symbol or they just see it as a gag or something like that, it always, it works on all those levels for me. Um, but like, if you're going to go through and investigate why the hell that happened, really, it gets a little heavier, you know, and that's like, so for us, like the Bible was loaded with that kind of stuff, like items, images, concepts that carried a lot of weight, <clears throat> and then just, just tried to let the weight live in there without like explaining any of it. And, and hopefully that the subconscious would pick some of it up or, or even not pick it up, but feel a little unnerved, like, why don't I get this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely left with that on several occasions and it, it's one of the things that's really let me down and maybe comics work so much better in that doing that than let's say a movie um, right. because I've seen movies where they do that and I, I fucking hate it. Like cabin fever. I'm like, what am I watching and why am I even bothering? Like it, this makes no sense. Well, there's a, I think there's a genuine fear with creators of not being heard. And so like, or not or not being perceived as stupid or like and and i i don't think that that's really that big of a thing but i think like there's a there's a marketing end which is if people don't get it they're not going to recommend it or if people don't understand what they just went through any number of things right like and frankly like i think it all boils down to operating under the assumption that the audience doesn't understand things or or is not interested in things that they can't readily understand and i just fundamentally disagree with that 
I think that people really enjoy things they can't understand. And I think that's why Michael Myers persists to this day is because we cannot understand Michael. Like we can try and we can get close, but he's, as soon as you get in, as soon as you get him in your hand, he slides out. Like, and I think the same thing is true with most good horror is like, once you can grasp it entirely, it's no longer frightful. Um, there has to be an element of mystery. And if, but it, I can't remember who said it, it might've been Kubrick, it might've been somebody else, but they had said like horror is at its most potent when, uh, when the audience is made very aware that there are rules, but that they are also not privy to those rules. And I think that that's, and I think he's right. Um, that if, if the audience can read this and be like, there is a logic here and I can't quite figure it out, that creates a tension inside of a person that I think is really powerful. And, and, and that's what I think we try to do with Silk Hills. And that's what the Bible also looks like. There are rules, they're loose and they're fast, but they're there and uh, they don't adhere to the rules of men. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Well, I don't want to go too far because I think we just end up giving up spoilers and stuff. But um, thanks so much for hanging out with me today to talk about Silk Hills, and tattoos and other stuff you got going on, man. Oh, man, I appreciate you having me. The fact that the book's resonating because you're kind of hitting this point now where it's like it hasn't really made its way to comics audiences yet. Like we've gotten some reviews on, I think, on Goodreads and stuff where people are like, I don't read a lot of graphic novels and this was really gross or this was really scary and i think this is kind of cool like i love the art i don't know how i feel you know you get all those from like a lot of book readers and i'm not suggesting that those don't matter to me but those people like if you're not reading comics like i don't know how i can relate to you yeah you know what i mean like when it comes to reading comics yeah um, like i'm not saying people can't read all kinds of stuff once again i love that people that aren't normally reading comics are reading our book but to have someone who reads comics who has a shelf full of comics behind them and hear that it worked for them you understand the medium, you're used to the medium, um, you have preconceived notions about what you're gonna you know, get in the thing, et cetera, et cetera. To have it work for you is really meaningful to me. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah, it, it's great. It was, it was definitely a, a trippy, keep me on the edge of my seat read that it's gonna stick with me for a long time. And I'm, I'm telling people right now, like if you like horror, you should go pick this up because that deer will stick with you maybe it's just me i i don't know maybe it might well he's stuck with all of us so that's why he's there okay people listening the deer is fucking creepy so if you like that buy it i i will say if there's one thing that like i look forward to every time i read through the book is when beth goes to the decommissioned hotel that whole sequence i love i think kate just completely crushed it um it's like when we really see the the moth the mothman really go off um that first time like i love that sequence so much because it's weird it feels almost like an action thing but it just doesn't resolve like an action thing i don't know I, there's little moments from that that i'm excited for people to get to enjoy because i think there's something in it for everybody as long as you have a strong stomach um i think there's you know the book isn't for everybody but it's for people like me you know like i think it sends you it's kind of funny it's kind of weird it's real spooky um i like it i like the book yeah, I do too. That's bang up job, man. I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I mean, once again, like I can't speak to, I can, I can only take so much. I, I try not to take any credit because I'm working with extremely talented people. So I don't think I would be able to say I like it as much if it was all me. And you know, I'd be like, ah, it's fine, I guess. You know, all I see is the problems. But, you know, the less involvement, I guess, that I had. I also want to say too, and we haven't talked about him at all, is Crank's lettering is such a perfect fit too. And sure. I know that almost sounds like I'm kind of just throwing Crank a bone, but it's just me being forgetful. Like he, like I, I specifically requested Crank because I've seen a lot of his work and he really delivered on this book, man. So like, like if, 
the whole thing just works so well for me. I'm really proud of everybody's work and I feel really grateful to have been involved in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen his work and other stuff and it always smashes. I mean, it's, it's letters are, are so underappreciated, you know, sure. it's yeah. And he's a real, he's just, a, you know, clearly like an artist, you know, he br brings something really like he brought something unique to it without it being like overbearing. You know, I don't, the cool thing about what Crank did was there was never a point where I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like it never like took me out where I zoomed in, but I was just like, it all just flowed perfectly for me where I was just like, fuck yeah, dude, like this rocks, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was the, the visual anatomy of the, and again, I, I don't want to describe too much and give too much away, but like the, the moths and, and that in, in its own imagery, if you screwed up the lettering, if you put a box in the wrong place, you have totally destroyed the atmosphere. And that, that's what this book has in spades to me. So Well, that, and that's nice to hear because we worked really hard to make sure it was very atmospheric, very moody. You know, like like the comparison to Twin Peaks comes up quite a lot because it's such a quirky thing. And I'm a huge David Lynch fan. Um, I think that there, you know, like there's definitely, I think you can see the subconscious Lynch influence in it, but it's very much like we tried to not really play up too many. We try not to be too like on the nose about anything that influenced us. You know, we just wanted to be honest with the, with the story. And frankly, the dreams informed most of it, you know. Which is which is really fascinating. Um, I have to pick your brain sometime about the dreams and like sure. putting that putting that in comic books is is um, it's got to be fun. So oh yeah, well it's one of the only mediums that really permits it so well because like the structure of the page is like it, the page creates such a different rhythm than like because it's one of those weird little like mediums where it's not like reading a book right where you you completely control the pace right. I mean not completely like but for the most part and it's unlike a movie where like you don't get to pick any of the speed of this. So like comics is weird because the page to me is like the score in a way and like the rhythm. And so you're kind of building up this score and rhythm with how the page works as you're trying to manipulate the audience by dictating not how much time they spend, but the ratio of time they spend on an image, right? So if you're reading this page in one minute, like I wanna control you here for 5% of that and 20% of it here and like trying to manage that on a page. And so like the dream thing is interesting because you can start to min like, it allows you to kind of like, I don't know, play by different rules because you can jump through the page with different things. And like, I don't know, like I'm like doing a lot of talking and not saying like doing a lot of talking <laughs> without saying anything, but like, it's hard to put into words, you know, like that, that the comics historically is always comics with an X, like indie comics or whatever, alt comics, they do that shit so well like so much better than us in like the mainstream. Cause in the mainstream, we're so con like convinced of having things cinematic and like making it like, like having master shots and shit. Like we're all fucking cinematographers and that's great. And that's lovely, but not every story I think is served by that mentality as well. And so there's so much to learn from stuff that's kind of on the outside of the mainstream, you know? Uh, I love that stuff. Like if yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I just think about like guys like Mark Stafford, right? Like uh, who did, you know, the, those, like he did The Bad Place with all those David Hine books he did. That's how I got to know about his stuff. The Lip Hook and uh, the other one that's eluding me right now. But, you know, these great, these great graphic novels. Oh, he did the uh, adaptation of The Man Who Laughs or whatever. Um, the Victor Hugo, John. But like, there's just, I have a whole book of stuff, like uh, or a whole shelf of weird. I don't know if they're even visible here, but, you know, just bizarro, weird, dreamlike stuff like, like Al Columbia or like, uh, early Dan Klaus, like a, like a Velvet Glove cast an iron, um, all those weird alternative comics sort of things that work out so nice to, I think, like kind of 
move away from the cinematic end and move into like just kind of like weirdo dreamlike and still involves panels but it's not like it's not framed in the same way i guess yeah well i mean talking about panels um batman bigby i don't know how much you had in terms of like constructing the panels and that had some really interesting shape for a big two book um which really jumped out to me uh, i appreciate yeah. that that was the thing that i put the most you know that story was pretty straightforward. Like Bill's a really great writer. Um, and, but a lot of the book is a lot of people talking, you know, like, because it's a mystery, right? Like a lot of people like exchanging information and doing this, that, and the other. And so like visually, I was like, really wanted to make sure that it had all the visuals that you would want from a Batman book and which is really hard to do. So that was a large portion of why I kind of went so crazy with the panel layouts. Cause it was like, well, let's just keep this book interesting looking and I think it worked out, you know, some of it gets a little hairy, like sometimes you're like, holy shit, that's a lot. But, um, you know, thank God for Lee Lowridge, he kind of tamped it down and, you know, Jay, Jay Lyston, the inker, spent so much time deciphering a lot of lines on those pages. So God bless him. Yeah, the, um, <clears throat> my personal favorite was the the GCPD. That was. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. yeah, that was, uh, I honestly, to hear that that was your only, that was the one I was like, I, in, I shared it with my artist group and I was like, is this too much? Like, is this like too fucking like? No, like, because it's it Batman. Because it's <laughs> right, Batman. Right. Well, it I didn't want to draw another exterior of the fucking GCPD or whatever GCPD building. Like, I'm right. just tired of drawing the outside of that building, like in a way that was like another like another establishing shot. And that's like, you know, like that does that's not to say that the script was lacking. It's just like, how do I creatively handle this location again? And I was like, well, how about I do it with the layout? You know. So, well, I mean. It, if you if you look, I don't know if it's back here. That's okay. So like this is Batman, right? Like awesome. this huge amount of space. And, and it's weird because people ask me who my favorite characters are, and I never say Batman. But it's it's maybe it's just because it's saturated market or something. But I think he's been done by so many great creators over yeah. time. You know, I went back and, and read an old one that Sam Keith did the whole thing recently. Awesome. Um and and so that the way you constructed the panels anyway was was standout so people should definitely go look that pick it up because it's it's so different than you would expect from a big two or especially a batman book where we've seen it all so thank you yeah. that was you know that was I'm, I'm glad to hear that because that was kind of my mo is like well if i'm gonna get fired i'm gonna get fired for being too much not not enough you know yeah. and so like the same thing when i did darth vader i kind of went a little crazy there um, when I did the separation anxiety, absolute carnage tie-in was pretty bonkers on the layout. So I'm glad that that works for people because I love doing that. Like I just love making shit a little weird. Well, you you succeeded with that. You succeeded with Silk Hills. Thank I hope you. we've I hope we've teased enough here to to make everybody want to go out and buy it because they should. If you like horror, you you have my guarantee you should like this book. So yeah, and I'm not like no bullshit. Like if you are a horror fan, like just so you know, like I like that's all I am about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, like as far as fiction goes, right? Like, like my kids will show up and be like, what are you watching dad? And I'm like, you can't watch another horror movie. It's like, yeah, dude. Uh, like, I think there is this weird thing in the sort of zeitgeist right now about like elevated horror and somehow like horror is meant to be, I don't know, essentially a drama cloaked in violence or something like, and I just don't really feel that way. I think that that horror by itself is functional um, and beautiful and a an art form that is just as good as anything else and just as creative or not more creative in a lot of respects than other things 
And so like, if you're a horror fan, like, no, like I'm not trying to bring to the table, like some like bullshit, like, like uh, guy who's on the outside of horror trying to make the thing legitimized. Like this is my favorite shit, you know? I don't think in any other way. And so I hope that people feel that love uh, for the genre in the book. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they could escape it. I mean, I'm an old school horror kid from the eighties. I watched like everything. Everything yeah. good, everything bad, trash, you name it. I love it. Um, but as I've gotten older, and I don't know what it is, but I just watch less horror movies, and I'm way more drawn into the stories. Um, and, and that's what I found actually just refreshing about this is it's it's different, and the, the pacing, the rhythm of it was different than everything anything I've read recently. So awesome. that's why it's got my recommendation. So that's a thrill for me. Yeah, like that's that's a win. And hopefully we can bring, I hope it's weird enough to bring in the art house kids, but it's, you know, like cool enough and spooky enough to bring in the horror kids and pretty enough to bring in like just people that like mystery stories and beautiful stories. And like, I just hope it has a little bit of everything. I think it has a little bit for everybody. Oh, come on. That's cop out. A little bit for everybody. I stopped asking people like, who is this book for? Because everybody will work their way back around to everybody. So, well, the, the realistic thing is, is the book is for me. Yeah. like that's there you go like and who i am is a person who really loves people a lot like that sounds bullshitty but like when you're a tattooer for 20 years which i am yeah um, it's hard to not start to really love people and but the thing is is that like i care about me too and like i know that like most of my favorite movies have had audiences that were extremely broad and so like the stuff i like isn't particularly unique and so if I just make sure that I'm doing what I love and we all do what we love, that there's probably an audience of varying sizes. And so like the book is for me, but I do think I'm not particularly unique from anybody else. Um, and so I think if you're just reading it with a straight face and like uh, trying to meet it on its own terms, I think it, there is something for everybody there. Okay. Um, I, I think that whether or not, you know, like whether or not the whole thing is for you is a whole other element, you know? <laughs> I think it takes a certain special person that where all those pieces work together well and to where you really, really like it. I don't think it's a tiny percentage, but I think there's a definitely like, I think the people that are going to like this book are going to really like the book. And the people that don't like the book are really not going to like the book. Yeah. I think there's going to get a lot of middling, like, yeah, it was fine. If you're going to read it on a story end, I guess you can kind of be like, ah, they didn't resolve this. or they didn't answer this. Uh, it was okay. Like if you're reading it on the plot end, sure, you're going to end up with some middling grades. But I think people that are just vibing out, you're either going to be like, this fucker ain't for me, or this is just for me. Um, and, I, and I hope that it's for more people than it isn't. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I hate, hesitate to say smaller books, but with, within horror genre, because, okay, yeah, Tenyon does such a good job with, you know, the House of Slaughter and, you know, that, that, okay, there's that. <clears throat> but like in terms of other stuff that I've read in the last, year and a half, two years, this book and Josiano's Children of the Woods. And like those, I think are the most authentic horror. So, yeah. Awesome. That yeah. man, that's exciting. Wait, Children of the Woods, was that the, the Josh Hickson, John? Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. That book's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I was getting that book when it was called The Black Woods. Yeah. Like before it was published, so like uh, proper. So I was like, wait a minute, that's the new title. Fuck. Uh, yeah, the yeah, like those are the things that stick out. It's funny because there's all, so many great horror creators. I do love what Michael's doing in particular on the Silver Coin. Um, I don't know how much of that is because of just how eclectic it is, and or how much of it is just because Michael's such a powerhouse artist and like just a visionary person. I'm not sure, um, 
but but yeah that's those are definitely i think infidel is a real standout oh my god that uh, was so good yeah right yeah. and I, and i think that it kind of i don't think it slipped under the radar i just think that the deluge of content um kind of makes it easy to you know forget about things but i think that infidel was really special um and also not the type of thing i would ever well for obvious reasons not the type of thing that i would write but even like tonally not the type of thing that i would write either um like there there's stuff out there that doesn't land with me there's stuff that does but you know like i think there's a couple of real standout horror books and we're in a great time in comics for horror comics and i hope that we i hope that people find us like like well fit within that time you know and time and place it would be nice yeah i mean there, there's the horror books like this one that okay came from your dream and makes me dream more entertainingly let's put it that way that's right? exciting and and then there's infidel which that that hits you on just a gut punch level i mean oh, it's like a very human like a yeah. very human level um and and that's what and that's also what i love about horror is the versatility like it like it, it it can fuck you up existentially it can fuck you up like just familially like there's all kinds of ways that that horror hits and corrupts and ruins but can also like give you perspective and i love that about it you know like i said i'm a religious guy so i'm always coming at things from that angle of like the unknowable the uncreated, like these sort of strange, like, you know, that's always like how I relate to things. And then I bring it back here. It's okay. How does that interact here? And um, that's, that's my point of view. Um, you know, they always manifest different stories, but it's great to see so many voices and so many different points of view on the genre. You know, it's funny. Did you read Friendo? No. Huh? Um, so that was, uh, I think a vault book, Alex Pacnado, um and Martin Marazzo. Uh, the, the guy that, I can't remember what his other thing was. Such a weird, I don't know if people would normally call qualify it as a horror book, but like it just has the most sinister energy. Um, it's kind of like corrupted, like, like tech sort of great stuff. Um, those books tend to stand out to me where they're just like, geez, a fucking Pete's what? Like, this is so dark. And so, but not like, not dark because can't you believe what we just did in our book? Like, like, I hate that shit. Like, yeah, yeah cool. You killed a baby. Congratulations. Like, I mean, like stuff that like makes you, that bothers you and like where you lay down at night and you're thinking about it a little bit, you know? I think that's, that's why I walked away from so many horror movies though, because it, and I'm not dissing them because honestly, I just haven't watched enough recently. And maybe that's just time, you know, but even, even Stranger Things, frankly, just got a little boring to me. I just kind of, stopped you know i try not to talk shit about anything but i don't like that show it's not yeah. it just like it feels it feels like it's all aesthetic uh and no like i'm not saying it's 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 aesthetic in character but like there's no like real there's nothing to haunt me for real like my kid will watch stranger things he loves stranger things and it doesn't bother him and it's gory as shit sometimes yep but like then we put on night of the living dead and he's terrified which is remarkable to me because it just shows like how much tone and mood and the sort of intangibles of horror like creep into things. That's like really special to me. Um, and that's the stuff I, I feel like I always try to focus on is like mood and, and atmosphere. Because uh, that's what will make you, that's what will prime you for fear, you know? That's why I'm a monster guy. Because there's there's nothing like the, the reveal, you know? Like the relic or pitch black, like those are just perfect to me which is funny that you bring up the relic because i is the relic even a good movie like, no no because like, i was gonna say because i think i like it like but i think it's not any good and no it's terrible i love monster movies uh so there's a great little monster movie if you want to see one uh called uh actually a couple so i mentioned my friend larry he's a filmmaker and he did a movie called beneath that's about a fish monster in a lake 
And there's an absurdity to it that is like, I think if you're just not a monster guy, you're just not going to get it. You're not going to like it. But if you're a monster guy, you're just like, fuck yeah, this rocks, man. Like, I'm okay. going to shit like this. Like, you got a monster in a lake and a bunch of people stranded in a boat. It's like almost an extended sequence of that, like, uh, what was it, Creepshow 2 bit or whatever. I love that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, horror movies don't have to be good to be good. No, they just got to be creative. Yeah. Be creative and, and, like, get my imagination going. Like, want me to, like, get me to stay there. Like, that's all I care about. Now, there's definitely, like, I like a lot of bad movies. Um, but like, I'm usually pretty good at determining when a thing sucks versus when a thing is just something like I can like it and it sucks and I can like it and it can be great. And I try to try to make sure I keep that part of my brain turned on and keep those two things separate or else I'll be a really bad writer, <laughs> you know, and a really bad artist. Cause I don't want to make stuff that sucks. I want to make stuff that's genuinely like awesome. Uh, but also simultaneously, like, I still like a lot of stuff that sucks. So I got to be able to turn on the thing that's like, this sucks and that's okay. Like the dead pit sucks, but it rules, <laughs> you know, like that movie sucks ass, but like, it's really creative and really interesting, but it's not good. And that's, that's a hard line to toe, I feel like, and horror happens to do it better than anything. So do you, do you find that that's fuel? I mean, that you love horror. Absolutely. Right. And it's got to be some to some degree. Right. Oh, yeah, man. And and like uh, it, it, you learn just as many lessons of like what to do as what not to do. Well, you know, like when you're when you're kind of entrenched in the genre in that way, like that's like all I watch, you know, and it doesn't mean that's always the same thing. I'm not like always putting on slasher movies or some shit like that. Like sometimes I'll go back and like I've got a, a Val Luton box set. So it'll be like Cat People and Body Snatcher and Ghost Ship. And, you know, like uh, I Walked with a Zombie, like these old 40s, like black and white sort of jaunts. Or I'll watch like crazy French extreme, like su super just butcher fests, you know, like, and it, it just depends on what my mood is. But there's different lessons in all those, right? Like if you get into like Val Luton, it's kind of like more like kind of esoteric and moody and like kind of like meditative versus like that new French extremity stuff, which is just like, just cruel and nasty. But the, the, the tension is so high, right? Like you're just like, oh my God, like, you feel like you can't get released from it. And those are lessons there, you know, like, and you hit, and you hit limits and you're like, Jesus, I don't want to do anything like that. <laughs> you know, so you gotta, you gotta find that, find that balance. Yeah. I mean, I draw my lines. I, I've never watched Caterpillar Man and I'm never going to. That's I've never watched that either. I love the, the human part. caterpillar. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, I, I, I've never watched it either. So I do yeah. have, I've never watched that. I've never watched the Serbian film. Um, there's stuff that I will not watch because I just know it's not for me. I put off watching Martyrs, the original French martyrs for probably eight years seven years because i was really nervous about it because everybody told me i'd really like it i was like dude i just you can't unsee shit mm -hmm. you can't unsee it and i watched it and it instantly became a favorite like and it was one of those things that like the images were unforgettable the cruelty was off the charts but there's to me there's a difference between something being cruel to be cruel versus something being cruel to illustrate something beyond cruelty like to illustrate a point of whether it's to contrast with tenderness, to contrast with uh, something like, I don't know, those things are interesting to me. Uh, and I think that I learned from them. Antichrist was the same way, that Lars von Trier picture. Like I, I put off watching it for 10 years, I think, before I finally watched it. And I was like, oh my God, like this movie was made for me. Like this is brilliant, you know, and uh, I loved it. But, you know, you can't, it, they're all a little different, you know, and you just kind of take what you can get and enjoy what you can and kind of try to shave off the rest. Yeah. I mean, that's why I felt about <clears throat> Babadook. Yeah. Cause I knew I loved it. 
I knew that was going to be my pocket. And I also knew that it was going to scare the hell out of me. And it did. So what a powerful movie. Yeah. Uh, Did you see her follow up? uh, The Nightingale? No. Huh? Oh, my God, man. Um, What a movie. Anyone who tries to tell me that's not a horror movie can kiss my ass. Like, full stop. Like, holy shit, what a movie. But it's just so it's it's beyond genre, you know, like it just it's horror, but it's like it's obviously drama it's adventure there's i mean it's just it is a brutal brutal look at sort of post i guess post penal life in australia um and this lady that's getting revenge and oh my god what a what a devastating picture i highly recommend if you like the babadook and you like the emotional sort of character driven like uh boy howdy what a movie okay it'll kick your ass though for anybody that's watching this or listening to this, watch The Nightingale. If you can stop, I mean, content warning, it has as awful of shit imaginable in it. It's like, if you're sensitive about, well, like sexual violence, standard violence, like that's not sexual in nature, you know, obviously proceed with caution. I will say it's made by uh, like a large, a largely woman crew. Um, it is a women-centric film, so there's definitely like a sensitivity that and a non-eroticism that comes with that territory that I know is always a huge problem uh, with those type of depictions. Um, but oh my God, what a movie! Cool. But I mean, that's awesome. We, we've given people like this wonderful window, like all these recommendations, and I think they got a, a great sense of you here. So. Oh, yeah, I'm a nightmare, man. So anybody that has to put up with this, thank you very much. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Still Kills is great. It's got, it's got my stamp of approval. Um, so pick it up soon as it, as it drops, um, wherever you're picking up your books online or your local comic book shop. Local comic book shop needs your money more than ever right now. So go there. Um, but yeah, man, thanks for joining me. Dude, thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah. It was great to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasure. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.